podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Father God, we just need you here. God, this isn't just like reading from some ordinary book. These words were written through holy men of old, as the word says, who wrote and spoke as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And so, God, we are dealing with no ordinary words, no ordinary teaching but the life from heaven, the life that was is truly life. So open our hearts, God. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a heart that can understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So a lot of talk lately about that underground volcano and appeared out of nowhere, erupted a couple weeks ago out there in the Pacific and sent out tsunami waves in every direction, even the satellite photo from space shows that explosion there, just just an amazing uh, phenomenon. And so, you know, I saw a, a follow-up report about how tsunamis work, uh, and they were talking about the Japanese one that hit in 2011, and just how those the displacement of the Earth causes the, these shock waves uh, uh, just that, that go out in ever-widening circles just for thousands of miles. That's amazing. And, and as I was watching this report, it made me think, believe it or not, of the outline and the summary statement of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, as you recall, I've got a picture of that. The summary statement is Jesus saying, you take my gospel into all the world. Start with Jerusalem, and the message spreads out to Judea and then Samaria, and then wave after wave throughout the ages to the farthest reaches of the earth. And so, yeah, if we can call Jerusalem the epicenter, and I think you can, quite literally, because at Jesus' death, the Son of God paying for the sins of the world, there there was a violent earthquake, the Bible says. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs were broken open. And yet another tumbler on Sunday morning, was there not, Matthew 28? Quote, there was a mega earthquake, a violent earthquake as the angel rolled away the stone. And so shock waves developed, didn't it? The gospel began in Jerusalem, Christianity right there. And ever since then, and continuing on through the ages, 
wave after wave of tsunami of love, not of harm and destruction, but of restoration. Men could be reconciled to God, have their sins forgiven, and live forever simply by trusting in the Messiah. And so the soul-saving waves sweep over the planet. They even swept to you. And you heard the message, come drink the living water and never thirst again. And so thank you for that slide. So Jesus' last words, really, uh, before he ascended, after he was raised from the dead, he said, you guys are going to be, here's your your overarching theme of your life. You're going to be a witness for me. He means that through your words and through your life and your priorities in life, Christians are supposed to be testifying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is alive, and his promises are good as proof in our own lives as we testify as witnesses for him. And and, and that's an amazing thing because he was really saying my followers are the means by which the message of life sweeps over the earth. And that's just an amazing amazing thing. And it's a systematic thing as we've been seeing through the book of Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the furthest points of the world. And now we've reached uh, chapter 11 where we're in the last section, the last circle. Now the gospel needs to leave the promised land borders of Israel and as God has intended it before the foundation of the world is to save the world, to make the offer for everyone, not just the Jewish people, of course. But that transition has been an ordeal for them, right? And uh, But here we're going to pick up now chapters 11. Now uh, the gospel is going to go um, viral. It's going to leave its Jewish confines there. Crossover international borders for the very first time. Very first time. Ancient day Syria, modern day Turkey. Uh, borders change for, you know, during 2,000 years of history, right? Uh, so, yeah, 700 years before Jesus came, uh, the Bible says the Lord speaking, look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. And now, at long last, they can. The gospel's going to the nations. Uh, And so it's time to save the world. Uh, Gospel going global. Verse 19. Now those who have been scattered, those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, by the persecution in connection with Deacon Stephen when he got martyred and stoned to death because of his uh, witness for Christ there in Jerusalem. Those who fled the great persecution traveled as far as Phoenicia, as a modern-day Lebanon, north. Cyprus, the island nation there off the coast there in the Mediterranean. And Antioch, which is in the southeast corner of Turkey, now, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, the island nation there, and Cyrene is Libya, went to Antioch, traveled up to Turkey, and began to speak to Gentiles, just regular people, anybody who's not Jewish, that's all Greeks means there, and the word is Gentile, uh, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we're going to walk through this amazing transition of how the gospel is going to bust through barriers, cultural barriers and uh, international borders and cultural hurdles, you know, to go from uh, a Jewish thing to a whosoever thing. And that's exactly what the gospel is, whosoever believes in him without any ties to ethnic concerns or cultural or societal status, nothing. If you got a heartbeat, you can come to the Lord and be saved. So, uh, note takers, it's go, go time here. Uh, the plan that has been laid before the foundation of the world, as I've been saying, uh, is up and running. It's time to, to get busy saving the world, you know? putting the message out there, and it's time for God's people and of the Jewish persuasion here, because that's what, how it all started. It's time for them to get over their hateful attitudes and writing people off who offend them. Um, it's time to put on their big boy pants, all right? Uh, and obey the Lord and love the unlovely and reach the lost at any cost, hating the sin but loving the sinner. Sounds so easy, right? Not so. And nothing will put a hole in the side of your Christian life boat. Um, like a disdain for the object of God's love, the target of salvation. You disdain them, uh, things are not going to go well for you as a Christian. And it's such an easy pitfall, isn't it? And so the Apostle Peter has seen the light. It took him 10 years um, 10 years of, of walking with the Lord or even more, uh, the Holy Spirit backed him into the corner. You remember last chapter. And he found himself sort of uh, trapped in a house of Gentiles, which he wouldn't have normally gone to, where he was prompted to preach the gospel and a bunch of Italians, uh, the, the military families from Rome who were stationed to keep the peace, Caesar's peace, there in uh, Caesarea, came to the Lord. And so, but that was in Israel still. We're still in the promised land. It has never gone outside. Yes, we've had an Ethiopian get saved in the borders. We've had a Roman centurion get saved in the borders. But nobody has ever targeted an international outreach of just anybody, a Gentile. Again, the word means nations. Somebody who's not uh, Jewish. Never until now. So here we see this amazing uh, church uh, begin. We're going to walk through the story. And uh, just for this, you're, you're paying attention for this. How is God working in their hearts? How does God speak? Uh, what's important to God? How can I make sure that I'm pleasing God in the way that I uh, minister the Christian life and deal with people? Because you don't want to get to heaven and find out, you know, I didn't really understand what God was all about, what you were all about, Lord. I thought it was all about, you know, I do my Sunday little thing and I keep you in the top drawer and you're a priority. Yeah, but I go on and live my life. Uh, but actually it's him first. He's our, we call him master, Right, And he is the God who created everything and holds everything together and gives us a heartbeat and breath in our lungs. So we might as well be about our Father's business. And uh, by paying attention today, we'll see what makes his heart tick. 
And so it's going to start here with the church called, uh, I will call it Calvary Chapel Antioch, all right, just for fun. You know, it's the most important church that ever existed, and I'll just say this, it's, it's certainly overlooked. And I say that because these guys, and not the church of Jerusalem, uh, they're, they're going to evangelize the world. The church of Jerusalem for 10 years, they don't get it. They do not get it. They don't understand. And they've got a lot of personal hang-ups about uh, going out of Israel. If you're a Gentile, take pride. Because the Gentiles are the ones who take the message to the world. The hero in the story of the saving of the world are the Gentiles. The Gentiles who have received Israel's Messiah. The Gentiles who love Israel, the, the Gentiles who uh, have this gospel that's made in Israel, right? It's just crazy. All the Christians in the world for the ages go and travel over to Israel like, oh, Israel. And, and the Jews are going about their business. It's like, oh, it's so nice that you get to, to go come into Galilee and see where Jesus carried his cross and all of that. And they're just driving their cars, honking their horns, and they don't get it. The world, the Christian world is in love with their God, their Messiah. And it just is an amazing thing. But the unsung heroes here, the first church that looks like this church ever, it's the first church. When I say looks like this church, it's there's no connection to Israel, no Jewish customs, much. There's a few Jews here, uh, <laughs> right? But not much. We don't keep the holidays. We don't do this. We don't do that. We're Gentiles, largely, right? And so this is, the whole world is in dark. All of the Roman Empire. No gospel anywhere except one little church. And they're the only ones. Jerusalem, they're like, oh. you'll never see them supporting world mission through the entire book of Acts. They're not recorded as interested. They might be in their hearts. But practically, it's the Gentile church that supports Paul and Barnabas. And when they do the, the three missionary journeys, which is the entire book of Acts, they are sent from Antioch church, and they come back to Antioch church. They're the ones praying for them, supporting them. They are the unsung heroes, and we are going to meet them in heaven and they, where they will be honored. So Right away, verse 19, we find out <laughs> that the persecution that happened uh, spread people, uh, spread those Jews up into other countries. But just as the Bible uh, says that the problem is, they are in the text only speaking to Jews. I get that as an, I lived in Barb and I and our family lived as expatriates, ex. Pats, as we say. Uh, an expat is somebody who lives and works in another country, not of their own. And so we were in Japan for four years in rural Kanazawa, in the middle of rice paddies. Not a lot of foreigners, no English speakers, nobody to laugh with like that and, and just talk about, what's your favorite kind of pizza? You know, and just not, not just to sit. That was random, I know. <laughs> I don't know why pizza's on my mind this early in the morning, except that it's delicious. <laughs> and 
Yeah, so we were in the marketplace once, and I hear behind me somebody, some dude speaking English. I'm like turning around, my best friend. <laughs> he's from Wisconsin. He doesn't even know the Lord. But it's like, will you come to dinner? And he's like, yes, you know, where you can talk about stuff. And I remember looking at his shoes and going, where'd you get those? I can't find shoes here because they're small, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so we're talking and we're relating and we're laughing. So these Jews that got uh, fleeing for their lives, they end up in foreign countries and foreign places, and there's little Jewish enclaves, right? And so they go to the synagogue there, and they meet their compadres, right? And what? They share the gospel with them. Blinders on to the entire nation around them. No gospel to them. Just to the Jews, my friends, the ones I connect with and laugh with and understand. And so that's the problem until... Um, some brave souls uh, decide that they are going uh, to step out, right? And they are going to go to, they're going to go from Cyrene and, uh, and Cyprus, and they're going to go to Antioch, and they're going to just start preaching the gospel to anybody. They're Jews by DNA, but these guys are foreign-born. They're more internationally minded. They're not so hung up on every little Jewish custom and law. So they're more equipped to be able to say, hey, why don't we go to Antioch and just start preaching to anybody? Like, maybe God wants to save just anybody. <laughs> yeah, it took them 10 years. 10 years to figure this out. So they get there and they get to the street corners. And if you, like I said, if you had a, had a heartbeat, there's, they got the seat out. Anybody want to live forever? Anybody want your sins to be erased and deleted forever by the love of God who paid for them through his own sacrifice on our behalf? Anybody want a relationship with a God who created all things and you as well? His name is Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And sure enough, without knowing anything. And that's the thing about the gospel. You don't have to know anything because the, there's a truth to it that rings to the soul. You don't need to know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. You don't need to know about Noah's Ark. You just come, you hear, your sins have separated you from God. There's a God who made a way to know him again. He died for those sins. It will raise you to new life. And you won't be judged and end up in hell. You'll be saved and end up in heaven. And the soul just knows, oh, that's true. That is true. And so uh, God's hand is on them, and they turn to the Lord. Your text says, listen, you know the Lord's hand is upon them. Why? You can get someone to turn to religion or turn to a new way of life and turn over a new leaf. You can, you can do that, but you can't get someone to turn to the Lord without the power and the grace and the goodness of God to touch the heart that he created and turn that thing around. And so, okay, so we're up and running. There's a sovereign Greek-speaking Gentile-filled uh, downtown church there in Antioch who's filled with all kinds of ethnicities, and languages, and what's so cool is, is that they're united now as one. God is smiling, the angels are rejoicing, 
And the church in Jerusalem, what about them? Well, they're a little bit skeptical, as usual. Verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, which is called the mother church, but I'm going to say she's a bad mama uh, because she has favorites. Oh, and if you, mama, and you have a favorite, that's bad. That's bad. She has a favorite. You have to speak Hebrew. You have to be Jewish or you're second. So it reached headquarters and they sent Barnabas, who's an elder there, a good man, to Antioch. Check it out, no doubt. Make sure everything's up and running. When he, correctly, biblically, when he arrives and saw the evidence of the grace of God. Love that. Make a good title for the message, I think. He, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. We've heard this before because he's appeared earlier. Uh, God made him good. There's no such thing as a good man, the Bible says. But when God comes into your life, he, he, he makes you. He shares his goodness with you and me. Full of the Holy Spirit, we would call him on fire. He's an on fire Christian. And faith and uh, a great number of people uh, were brought to the Lord. That's a way of saying, getting saved, becoming Christians. And so, uh, note takers, some concern expressed by the mother church. Uh, and uh, yeah, one writer said, news always gets back to Jerusalem, and it always will. You'll see this all the way through. Because from now on, we're in the Roman Empire. We're in Gentile land from now on, right? And so whenever something's going on, word gets back to Jerusalem. Uh, he said, uh, whenever anything is done, there's always somebody who will run to those who are supposed to be important, supposedly, and say, hey, do you know what's going on? So and so. Yeah, and that just, I laughed at that because it's so true. That's what happens. And so it's a repeat. This has happened before. The, a Greek-speaking Jew, mind you, named Philip, went to Samaria and started preaching to the despised Samaritans who were mixed, ethnically speaking. And a revival broke out. And so word got back to Jerusalem. And they're like, the Samaritans are getting saved? What? And so they sent who? Peter and John to check it out, make sure things were kosher, as it were. And turned out, yeah, it was. Peter gave two thumbs up. Right, So now it's Barnabas' turn to be the delegate. He's an elder there, excellent standing, um, uh, just an outstanding reputation. If you want to check him out, he's in uh, chapter 4 and a lot of other chapters. Every time you meet Barnabas, which is about 10 times in the Bible, it's always good. It's always exemplary. He was nicknamed, his name's Joseph, but they nicknamed him Encouragement son of encouragement. And so there's a play on words here that they send Barnabas, they send Mr. Encouragement to encourage, you know? And that's what he did. And they, they picked the right guy. The Greek-speaking thing, the foreign-born thing, uh, the good-hearted thing. And uh, he's going to go and he's glad. Two things to notice here. What he sees that encourages him, because always encouraging people get encouraged. 
That's how it works. So what he sees that encourages him and what he says to encourage them. Really important stuff. So what does he see? Well, he sees, and I love this, one of my favorite phrases. He sees the evidence of God's grace. He arrives. He doesn't hear a bunch of this. Hey, yeah, now I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Oh, I'm a Christian now. He doesn't, no. He arrives to see tangible, visible, quantifiable, verifiable evidence by the way they live their lives, just like James. Brother James says in chapter 2, stop telling me I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Show me you're Christian by how you live your life. You see? Because anybody can say it, and everybody does say it. And we all know people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you're like, really? I hate doing funerals for those kinds of people. Because, you know, it's like, well, were they a Christian? Yeah, I was a Christian. Okay, and then I hear the stories and the remembrances. And there's no remembrance of anything whatsoever connected to church or God or being a Christian, but the stories are just the opposite. Oh, I remember after you had one too many, you know, and then the one too many line from everybody, you know, and I'm like, oh, great. You know, and so yeah, everybody just thinks I was born in America, wasn't I? Of course I'm a Christian. What? Yeah. So <laughs> he found evidence that I started thinking, what is that? What did he find? Moral transfer. Trans I was gonna say moral transportation. <laughs> That's not Uber. It's a it's a Christian Uber, <laughs> I guess. Moral transformation. I used to be drunk now. I'm clean and sober, so I met Christ. I used to be sexually immoral. Now I'm self-controlled. God's changed my desires. I used to be all about me, 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 greedy, building my own kingdom. And now I understand, oh, I'm just a little speck in the universe. It's all about God and building his kingdom. And the rebels and the troublemakers are now ideal citizens. Yeah. Where there's a conversion, there's change. Because that's what conversion means. It means changed. And so that's what he sees. And on top of that, they love each other. So you've got a Turk and a Phoenician and a Cypriot. That's what you call somebody from Cyprus. All sitting next to each other with different languages, different cultures. One guy's rich, one guy's poor. One guy's from this nation, one guy's from that nation. One guy does it this way, one other guy does it this way. And they're all singing the same song. And they're all loving the same God because there's one faith, one Lord, one God, one baptism. One cross, one sacrifice, one shedding of blood that made us all clean and makes us all, as the Bible says, one new humanity. He says we're a one new people. So that's, that's just what he finds. And, and they love each other. Jesus said, you know what? When you love each other with my love, the, words, the world will take note and go, hmm, wow. Something amazing about that kind of love. And that's what he finds. The fruit of their lives match the word of their lips. And cha-ching, two thumbs up. Now, what does he say that's amazing? Here's the one thesis statement, if you will, from his 
constant teaching there, there was one line that that's kind of caught what his message was to them. It was this, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. You know why he gave that message? Because it's possible as a Christian not to. To get tired of saying no to yourself and yes to everybody else. Of denying yourself when your flesh is just crying out. No, you know, you got insulted. Insult him back. You know, no, I can't do that, really. I need to bless him and pray for him. Because Jesus said to do that. Are you kidding me? Says your sinful nature. And so we have lots of reasons that try to derail us. from. And what's amazing about Remain true to the Lord with all your heart. There's a sort of a romantic nuance to it. It's the kind of language you would use at a wedding to be faithful to your lover. This is the idea. That that don't turn away from your lover. Don't betray the God who created you and loves you and laid himself down on a piece of wood he created for you and your wretched sins, though he had not committed one sin. You know, a, a husband could be asked by his wife, have you been faithful to me all these years? And the answer comes back, 99%. That's not going to go over well. I don't think. Isn't that called grounds for divorce? Jesus said, you know what? If you're unfaithful to your wife, you can get a divorce. He doesn't demand you do. And in fact, he would probably say, try to save the marriage because it's sacred to God. But here's the message. He's saying, don't cheat on God by having your little rival lovers stay true all the way to the end. I had somebody say uh, to me, sharing the gospel, ah, you know what? I was a Christian the first half of my entire life. And I said to her, wrong half. (laughs) Wrong half. You picked the wrong half. Because I said, it's quite possible you were not a Christian. You thought you were a Christian because the Bible does say uh, that you will, uh, that those who abandoned Christ never knew him. You said you knew him. You went to church and did Christian things, but you didn't connect. Because if you connected with God, he knit you together with his own spirit. How do you abandon that? You see? Now, it is possible for Christians to shipwreck and to uh, be overcome and get derailed and d- distracted. And you know what? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 says you don't get any reward for that kind of Christian life. So we all get for free eternal life. Check. We do not all get the same reward and positions of honor in his new administration that's coming. It's based on the... Com- and is commensurate to your faithfulness. And doesn't that make perfect sense? Of course it does. It's like some Christians who are not well taught and not very mature think we all get the same thing. Oh, no, no, no. Two people who are given around the same gifting, the same opportunities, the same kind of dispositions. God knows how to measure things. Given the same opportunities and the same abilities and the same intellect and all of that, and one guy pedaled to the metal, sacrifices, and let's do this and burn bright. The other guy, no, lazy, not involved, not helping, 
uh, got a little sin problem, yes and no, and all of that. Of course they're not treated the same. Glad you're here, you forfeited reward, and you'll be, you'll be happy for the outcome. First of all, just getting to heaven, well, <laughs> we're going to be relieved that we're there. <laughs> and glad about it. And so that's the point here, is that you want to remain true. I'm a Bible college friend. I met him down the road years after we graduated, and he says to me, oh, I don't walk with the Lord no more. And I said, why is that? He goes, let's just be honest with you. I got tired of telling myself, no, I love to party, and I love the ladies. At least I'm honest about it. And I said, that's a, the worst trade you could ever make. You say no now, so God will say yes then when it matters. You see? I mean, everybody's got, you know, what do you love? What's your problem that's going to turn you a little bit away? The Lord said, worldly wealth, the cares of this world, like a plant that comes in like weed, like an invasive weed that chokes out the life and makes you unfruitful, saved, but not very blessed and not a blessing to others. And you choose. We choose every day how that's going to go. And so he says, be true to the Lord with all your heart because he's true to you with all his heart. Amen? Okay, time to move on. I think you get it. Verse 25. Uh, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, our apostle Paul, that great man of God who wrote half of the New Testament, <laughs> he brought him to Antioch to help out. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So that's a nice, helpful little by the way there. Let's talk about this. So introducing or reintroducing the man of the hour, the apostle Paul. The verb to look for there is very strong. It means to search high and low, to hunt somebody down. You see, so he went from... Calvary Chapel, Antioch, 167 miles west to Tarsus. And like a needle in a haystack, the Holy Spirit, without iPhones and computers and anything like that, was able to, to find the guy. It's the same verb when Joseph and Mary misplaced Jesus and they were looking for him, remember when he was 13, 12 or 13, and they lost the Messiah. This is really uh, sad. Uh, Mary thought he was with Joseph, and Joseph thought he was married, and they traveled three days in the caravans without him, and then they got at a little stop. Why am I telling you this? <laughs> they get to a little rest stop, and they're like, oh, where? I haven't seen Jesus. Where is he? And, and Joseph goes, ha, 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 you know, he's with you, right? And Mary goes, ha, 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 where is he? And they both go, what? <laughs> We've lost the Son of God. This is not good. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Yeah, so... Um, Paul's going to take center stage now to the end. No one like him before, no one like him after. And so Barnabas is like overwhelmed, exhausted. The Lord is just popping Christians into the kingdom like a bunch of popcorn everywhere. And he's like overwhelmed. He's like, I need some help. He doesn't go to Peter, James, and John. He's not going Jewish town. I need a guy who's 
international who's smart and trained. He's been to seminary. Paul the Apostle has been trained by Gamaliel, the greatest teacher the Jews had ever known. Um, he was born a Roman citizen. There was some kind of connection to his affluent father, perhaps. Uh, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. This is the guy. His dazzling intellect, his command of the scriptures. Uh, the reason why he got sent to Tarsus was he's preaching up quite a storm in Jerusalem and things got so hot and the Christians were getting so persecuted. They're like, dude, you need to go home for a bit and just give us all a little rest. And so they shipped him off to Tarsus where he'd been for 10 years when Barnabas is going to go and find him. And nobody really knows what he was doing for 10 years there, but scholars like to say, look, there's a couple places where he testifies that, but we don't know where it happened. It was probably then and there. He says in, to the Corinthians that five times he got flogged by the Jews. 40 lashes minus one, five times. And then he said, and I was beaten with rods, a Roman form of disciplined punishment, where they just beat you with rods up and down your body. Three times, he said. Scholars say that's what he was trying to preach in synagogues in the Roman Empire of Tarsus. Boom, that's where all of that went down. So in comes Barnabas, great timing. He says, dude, you know, come on, man. God is at work. He's moving. This is a great strategy. You, you want to place yourself where there's life and where there's movement, where there's evidence of grace, you know, and it's not working here. Let's go over there and see what God has for us. And so uh, they do. And Paul will write 13 New Testament books. He'll plant 20 uh, New Testament churches. He'll evangelize the entire Roman Empire and always humbly saying, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And so and that's what's going on here in, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's going to say he's, he's, he loses all things for Christ. He tells the Philippians, and most commentators say, yeah, when he leaves Tarsus, he's already been divorced. He's already been disinherited, as Jews do today, who find what we call Yeshua. Yeshua is code for a Jew who uh, has accepted Jesus. And so they don't say the J word to their family. They say Yeshua, but even then they find out it's Jesus and they write them off and have a funeral for them. So that's a lot of pressure. Uh, but Paul is glad to lose it all, go to Antioch and do uh, God's will. I like what uh, Jim Elliott, famous missionary to uh, Ecuador where he lost his life, a spear through him by one of the friendly uh, natives there. Um, he said... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul's uh, no fool. And so I love what it, it says there, that they were for a whole year teaching the word of God. First of all, number one, God's call to a pastor is to teach and preach. Number one, that's what he's got to give his life to. And if he's not doing that, he's not being a biblical pastor. Because the life of the Christian depends on being fed and taught and explained and applied the Word of God. The Word of God gives us life. And the reason, probably, why people fall away, one of the reasons is they're not well fed. They just get cotton candy every Sunday or they get some nice positive 
ways to live. You know what? The title of my sermon today is When Life Gives You Lemons, Make Lemonade. You know, and you leave going, you know what? I don't even like lemonade. You know, <laughs> whatever. So they're teaching and preaching and equipping God's people to better serve, to be able to, to, to continue to say no, 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 and be effective, productive, safe, and healthy, and blessed. And the, verse 26 says for a whole year, it, it means dedicated and intentional and like staying at it, you know, the whole year. It was like in the evenings there were Bible studies and gatherings. In the mornings, in the afternoon, when available. It wasn't just the Sabbath day. It was every day for them. That's what they do with great diligence. Something is important here, you know, um, with great sacrifice. That's what that whole year means. Uh, Pastor Bond, um, he's a real go-getter. He is just unbelievable. I can't keep up with the guy. Uh, but, you know, and one day I told him, dude, you need to get some rest. Take a break, man. And he said, there'll be plenty of time for that in heaven. You see, and that is uh, what was going on with these gentlemen. You know, uh, some men will work 14-hour days, but not for Jesus. There's a lot of reasons and they're some good and admirable ones. You want to please your boss. You want to make a name for yourself, maybe. You want more money. You want to be a good provider. All of that, yeah. But no problem, 14-hour days. But two hours a week, two hours a month to help out in God's kingdom? Yeah, so uh, by the way, we got the label Christian there, and it stuck. You know, we, we have been called disciples, and in Acts, here's what we're called. In Acts 1, verse 15, we're called disciples. That means learners. Uh, in Acts 9, we're called saints. It means separated from sin to God. Uh, in Acts 5, we're called believers because <laughs> we trust in Jesus. Uh, we're called the brothers in Acts 6 because we're family adopted through Christ, children of God together. We're called witnesses because we testify he's alive, Acts chapter 5. We're called followers of the way because we're always talking about the way to be saved, the way, the truth, and the life. And now we're called Christians. Christ, I-A-N, means to belong to or to be the party of or connected to, right? Now, you know, it's derogatory, by the way. We didn't name ourselves that. How do you describe people who are always in your face with Jesus, 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 always, oh, Jesus, bless me, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's the quote, and it translates quite nicely, it's the Jesus people. That's who he is. He's one of those Christ people belonging to Christ. His life is all about Christ. Oh, what a compliment. So Christians were like, oh, we like this, and we're going to call ourselves that. Thank you very much. It's a badge of honor. Like when they called Jesus, you are a friend of sinners. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> That's who I am. I am a friend. Of and, and he went about that uh, with a lot of sanctified and heavenly godly pride. You know. Uh, yeah, so, so one writer said that told a story about Ironside. He's a 
old school theologian, pastor, pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago, famous guy. And he went to China and he saw about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they called him Yasu Yan. Yasu Jesus, Yan man. He's the Jesus man. Who's that? He's all about Jesus, Yan, right? And he said it really struck him with great weight that he represented and belonged to Christ. And the people were watching him even when he didn't know people were watching him. He said, are we truly Christian? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I have written down here Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham's testimony when he was doing his own thing, he called himself Hell on Wheels, his words. Uh, he was in a bar in some corner, just doing his own thing, drinking away, partying. And someone came up to him and he started talking and somehow got it out of him that he was Billy Graham's son. And he said, what is a guy with your last name and a connection to your dad doing in a place like this? And he said that was what really started to turn him was is that he had a earthly name to live up to. And he, more significantly, he had a heavenly name that he was dishonoring. But thou shalt not... Uh, Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I've told you this before. It's not about cussing. It's about saying you're a Christian and living in a way that misrepresents the title, you see. So that's one of the things to look out for. We've got to wrap things up. Folks, 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. It had already started, writers are saying. Uh, this happened in its fullness during the reign of Claudius, which is the gospel's verifiable truth. You can look it up on Wikipedia and you'll find out there was a famine under Claudius. You know, the disciples, each according to his ability, there in uh, the, the Gentile church decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea, their Jewish brethren. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So this wraps us up, brings us to the end of the conclusion. And I have written here evidence of grace indeed. The grace gifts, which the gifts of the Holy Spirit are called charismatic gifts. And, and charismatic means grace gift. You see, and so the grace gifts are abounding, alive and well at Calvary Chapel, Antioch. So, yeah, here's some really helpful insights about how the very first church that looked like our church um, uh, operated. Uh, well, we, we've seen what the church looked like in its Jewishness. Acts chapter 2 is beautiful. But how is it in its Gentile form? We come to find out the same. Because it's the same God and the same Lord. And so there are two or three grace gifts mentioned here. Let's talk about them. Prophecy is mentioned as a gift of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 14. And also the grace of uh, gift of encouragement. It's a gift. Some people who excel at that and they love that, that's their passion. Like Barnabas, they have the gift. It's the gift. 
and generosity is also called. They're, we're all called to be so all of these things, but some excel. It's their passion. It's what, man, they nail it. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about first the office of a prophet, the office, the office, the title. He's a prophet or he's an apostle. God functions in the same way. The apostle, he was sent. The prophet, he would spoke. But he does so in a different way. Now, let me explain. Let me show you what I mean. The office part, calling somebody an apostle or calling somebody a prophet. Um, back in Ephesians 2, God's church has been built on the foundations of the apostle and prophets. So their job, their gifting, their calling was leading to build the Christian church. And once that foundation is laid, the, the office of the apostle, the office of the prophet has been fulfilled with Christ as the chief cornerstone. Let me show you another one from Hebrews that just says things that are changing the way God is speaking. In the past, he spoke through our Jewish ancestors, through the prophets at many times, in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And so things have changed in that we have Jesus Christ fully formed and fully uh, dying on the cross and rising and ascending and sending us Holy Spirit. We have the Bible, God's word complete, and we have the church up and running for 2,000 years. So the office of apostle now gives way to missionary because the word apostle means to send. And the office of the prophet, well, 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 the Holy Spirit manifests through gifts of the Spirit through all of us and through pastors who prophesy. The word means to speak God's word. So the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, and the everyday Christian who will share the gospel or have a word of wisdom as it's called or manifest a word of knowledge, something that you would never know that's coming from God that usually we find out afterwards, oh my word. So you probably were used today prophetically to speak a word of wisdom in one of your friend's lives here who said, you know, I don't know what to do, da 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 and you're having coffee. And suddenly you get this little, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, and you get this little pause and you get this little thing and, and, and you start saying something that you didn't even plan to say and out it comes something you couldn't have known, a direction that helps the person, they'll give you a call and say, oh my word, that was the Lord. And how many times have we done that? So, so prophecy hasn't ceased. It's changed the way God speaks and he speaks through his people all the time. The way that we planted this church, it was confirmed by all, all these different words that came flooding with the people who didn't even know they were speaking from God. And, and, and that's probably the best way. When you feel like you have something to stand up and say, you better know if you're going to say, God told me. Because if he predicted a famine in God's name, and that famine was not realized, Deuteronomy 18 would say, he needs to be executed. 
because he misrepresented and said, God told me to tell you. Those kinds of people, if it didn't manifest like half the internet, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, Trump is going to have a second term in the name of Jesus. He told me. Well, I'm glad it's not the Old Testament day for your sake, sir, because you would have to be taken out and stoned to death. So it's really not a good thing to say God told me. And the other thing is it's just plain rude. It can be rude. You know, well, God told me to tell you. you know, what am I supposed to say to that? Well, you go back and tell God, you know. <laughs> you know, you can say soft, uh, softly, I was praying for you. You told me about this thing. Here's what I came up with. Hope it's helpful. Norm Arneson, great. He's with the Lord now. Great Bible scholar at a Bible college that I attended. He said, look, if God gives you something to say to somebody, just say it. Say it, and if it's of God, they'll know, you'll know, everybody will know. You don't need to take the chance that you're going to misrepresent him. You can certainly say, boy, I feel impressed, but just hang back a little bit. But back in the day, before there's a New Testament, before we have fully uh, up and running, uh, men were enabled to do this kind of thing. Can this kind of thing happen? I think it can. It, absolutely. God's alive, right? And he's speaking. I'm just saying the way he's doing things um, does seem to have taken a change there. That's what's going on. Let's wrap up with this because it's, it's super encouraging. Love this. So they've sent, Jerusalem sends Barnabas, go check them Gentiles out. You know, do they got it together or not? He comes back now, the text says, because he's taken an offering and all of that. And so he comes back and there I can just see the room. You know, they're all lined up and they're in their Jewish robes and they're doing their thing and they're saying, what about them Gentiles? You know, do they, sorry, I just, that's how I picture it, you know, just kind of with an attitude about the Gentiles. Well, how, I mean, is everything up and running? Are they biblical? Is there evidence of grace? And he says, well, I'll let you decide. Here's a sacrificial offering that they took for you all knowing you're, you're having a hard time here. Here's all of their sacrificial giving to you. Is there any money coming from Jerusalem to any of the churches that are going to be up and running all over the Roman Empire? Is there any help? No record of it. More than one, two records, maybe three, of Gentile churches sending help to Jerusalem. So the church plant is supporting the mother church, as it were, headquarters. So maybe Barnabas and Paul get a smirk on their face. They're like, what about those Gentiles? It's like, well, here's what we got to say. Here's some cash from them to you in love. It's called an evidence of grace, evidence of grace. Let's pray together. Father God, this evidence of grace, we want it. <laughs> and we're certainly not going to work our way into it. It's got to be just freely given and bestowed by your favor. We just want to comply. We want to cooperate with your spirit and the word of God that you might rest upon us in, in beautiful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 